Cool. So today what we're going to be reading about is kind of a fancy title. I think precise zero shot dense retrieval without relevance labels uh, that, you know, kind of have been colloquially known as, as hide. Um, so this is a pretty recent paper. Um, so hypothetical document embeddings. Um, Adam, maybe do you want to give us just a quick like overview of, of what, uh, what this means exactly for someone who may not have much context on, on what this is? Sure. Um, so just to start with uh, dense retrieval, the idea here is that you can use an LLM to perhaps, you know, the LLM may not be educated on the actual uh, question you're asking it, but given a, uh, a corpus of documents that you've embedded, you can actually do some kind of search in order to retrieve the right document, include it in the context and get a much more accurate uh, answer to the question that you pose it. Um, so zero shot here means without any kind of fine tuning or training, you just give the, the LLM a question, it does its best to embed that question and find the most similar document for it and come back with its best guess of the answer. Um, the challenges here are often that without this kind of fine tuning, it doesn't always know, uh, it doesn't always do a great job of retrieving the right document with the right context. And so, uh, you know, the solution to this is there's a lot of different uh, strategies that people have used to give it the right context uh, to make sure it retrieves the right context, whether that's uh, adding in another step to help rank the documents after they've been retrieved, um, or perhaps fine tuning the model or the embedding vector, that the, the embedding um, tool that it uses to, you know, create the space and make sure that they're all sitting in the correct space together. But this poses a new um, option. Basically, the idea here is instead of just, you know, the, the very high level 10,000 foot view is instead of just encoding the query itself, perhaps you can add a different step. Um, and that step would be generating, asking an LLM, uh, in this case, an instructed GPT LLM, to generate a hypothetical document that answers the question. Now, this is a this may, it's not expecting it to generate a document that actually looks like it answers the question um, or has correct information in it. It's more about creating this kind of structure. And then instead of embedding the query, you could then embed this document, which would give you a, a higher uh, probability of um, getting a correct relevant document that would look like it would answer the question. And so it tries to basically go into how effective is this strategy. And um, the paper believes, the paper, at least some of the documentation shows that it, it is more effective than just zero shot retrieval without any kind of fine tuning or without any kind of relevance labels in general. Um, but they, there are definitely some caveats and they are pretty good about explaining the way through. Awesome. Thanks for that overview. Um, cool. I, I figure, like, you know, just like at, at a high level, um, you know, there's, there's some interesting value here where, uh, when we, we talked about RAG a couple of weeks back and, um, retrieval augmented generation, sort of the, the seminal piece on, on, um, context retrieval for, you know, augmenting an LLM, an LLM's response. Um, what's kind of interesting is there's a ton of development happening in the retrieval space. And this seems like, you know, kind of makes sense. What if, what if we threw an LLM at the retrieval component? Um, I guess, uh, Michael, what, could you maybe talk about like, you know, if you're, if you're building one of these systems, like why do you need relevance labels? Like what, are, what is the value of z like the zero shot dense retrieval? Like what, maybe what are those like breaking down the, you know, what, what those terms are in the architecture and, and what, where this, where Hyde could help. Well, so dense retrieval is that process of, of search via semantic embedding. Um, relevance labels help you fit the encoders that that 
define that problem. So a little bit later on, they, they have that uh, equation number one that that basically defines the, the dense retrieval process as a maximum inner product search of the, the two embeddings, the embedding of the query vector and or the embedding of the query and the embedding of the, the various documents. Um, so in order to fit good encoders to, to minimize that maximum inner product search or to, to train a system where the inner product of said vectors represents relevance, you need relevance to, to fit those encoders. And so they, they state as really like the, the problem of, of dense retrieval and the zero shot case of dense retrieval as learning those two vectors without, or those two encoders without, uh, without any relevance labels. And basically this technique is a way of sidestepping that problem by saying, well, we're not actually going to learn these two encoders simultaneously. We're gonna have a single encoder that's you know, trained to do document to document uh, uh, similarity, which is uh, uh, a, a well, there are well-known techniques for doing this without supervision and just keep the whole problem in the document to document search um, realm. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, 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 way of sidestepping the problem, which I, I, I find is often really successful. Um, like if you can figure out a way to take a hard problem and make it a different problem, that, that mm -hmm. tends to work out well if you know an answer to that other problem. Yeah, it feels less like necessarily, it's the, the paper isn't so much about like the lack of relevance labels as much as like, here's like a synthetic generation for, you know, what could be like in place of a relevance label to do this. Well, that's what they say that the instruct GPT output is meant to capture, like to, to uh, Adam's comment earlier, we don't expect it to be factually correct. They actually expect that it will contain factual inaccuracies, but that it would capture the relevance. And I, you know, I, we can talk more about this later, but that's where I have some some uh, thoughts about the edge cases of this and places where in their comparisons, they show it start to perform less well. Um, but uh, yeah, that the output is capturing some relevant structure that you would expect to find in an answer, maybe populated with incorrect details. Um, and then they have the, the, the metaphor of, of the, embedding of that document as a, as a kind of compression where you, you lose those inaccuracies. Um, yeah. I wonder how much that is uh, a good way of thinking about it. And I wanted to add, like, the, there's kind of a, something, it's funny, I was talking to someone recently and they're, um, it, it's almost like the, the L, the, every, all the LM, uh, app people have discovered search and retrieval and all these other people have been working on search and retrieval for, for, for decades. And, um, and, but, but what's interesting is like that there's, there's kind of a sparse, like when we send say dense retrieval, there's a bunch of sparse techniques that have been around a while and, and lots of different variations of those TFIDF and then indexes for, for word specific stuff on a large, large, you know, million, millions and millions of plus indexes. Um, and, uh, and, and, and contrast that with like dense where you're kind of compressing the information and what you're looking for into um, an embedding or vector representing kind of all, all or, or important parts of the information of the document versus like specific words. The, the, this kind of the dense versus sparse uh, worlds that um, 
uh, worth, worth noting as we kind of dive into this, um, this is trying to improve and re really, really improve the, the dense approach, which is embedding and vector based. Jason, what's the difference between like the dense and sparse retrieval? I think that's an interesting uh, note to touch on. They, they, they reference that here as well, like, you know, extensively studied after the emergence of pre-trained transformer language models. Like why, you know, what's the difference, I guess, between dense and sparse approach um, to retrieval? I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I would say the the thing that's come about is just once you train a model on a lot of data, um, a large model, you have the potential to have this, I mean, in old form, you call it transfer transfer learning, but like you, you then don't need to potentially, uh, you can embed stuff, you can use it um, on, in areas to create embeddings that that represent a lot of data. Um, so I think there's a, I think transformers empower you to create create embeddings on lot, lots of data. I think that's that's the the big and take. and in rag that was like parametric non-parametric memory like parent like call it parametric memory whatever whatever is encoded in the the transformers um, parameters basically those all those embeddings that are used to to generate the the architecture um, correct so you, you're you're pulling out an embedding of, at the last layer that represents structure in the data in some way that's captured into a vector in the space compare that to a more hand-drawn TFIDF, you know, sparse approach for, for searching stuff. It's word-based, it's, you know, lexic, you know, the, the, it, you know, very different type of approach versus like understanding the doc itself. Yeah. So, so interesting. So let, let's take that thought. So instead of having to understand the doc, this hide sort of instruct GPT is like taking in some question, you know, how long does it take to remove the wisdom, wisdom tooth? And then writing a, basically you wrap that in like a prompt in a, you know, wrap that query in a prompt and then ask the LLM to generate some piece of text that can then be used to do the retrieval, to do the lookup. Um, so what's interesting is like this, uh, yeah, as Michael touched on earlier, this doesn't have to be like factually correct, but it gives you a sort of a, a better lookup than like, you know, like you could have like in your knowledge base, hypothetically, if you're doing context retrieval, maybe you, maybe you're, you know, working at like a dental company, you have a lot of documentation about teeth and wisdom teeth, but this one is asking specifically about remove. And maybe there's some more information created from, you know, like the time it takes or the, the type of tooth or the process that can then be used as, you know, as a quote unquote relevance label um, when, when coming time for, for that retrieval. So I think that's like, you know, I thought that was a pretty good real example. And Michael, you, you had one yesterday of like, was it like baking a lemon lemon cake or something like that? Uh, yeah, that was on my mind. I, I had been baking over the weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, you you bring up the case of like searching within your documentation. Um, I think it's interesting the way that they cite some of the performance degradations as the corpus gets more narrow. And I, I wonder how much of that is because the relevance that you're capable of capturing in the parametric memory of instruct GPT is high level and structural. And that as you get more into the specificities of a search, you know, you're, you're not just looking up, uh, you're not looking for a document in the corpus of everything. You're looking for a specific document in a corpus of documents that are very similar to it. That, yeah. that approach is going to begin to fail because the, the, the items that make it relevant are in that long tail and are, are going to be present in the factual details, not the, not the structural makeup of the document. Right. So let me, let me put a recipe in the corpus of everything, hide giving you an incorrect recipe that 
is structurally a recipe still is probably going to help you more than looking for a good recipe in a corpus of recipes where this structure is, is no longer uh, indicative of high relevance, I guess. So let's build off of that and say like, you know, basically the alternative that they're comparing to is a fine-tuned fine dense encoder. Basically means if you had your model trained on all of the data that you have that's structured a certain way, HTML markup, recipes that follow a certain format, a certain language, this is a way to work around or operate around that. I guess, Jason or Adam, like, what are your thoughts on like the, the importance of the structure of the, the, the text that you're feeding in? Like, where, where does this, like, how the docs are formatted? Like, you know, is that basically where this starts to become useful is just in capturing signal and the formatting and the structure of the text? Yeah, it's funny because I think, you know, if you go back up to that, um, the first figure, it, you do have like a hidden prompt engineering problem in here, which is how can I correctly uh, ask for, like, I'm asking for a scientific paper passage, or I'm asking for something in Korean, or, you know, if you were doing docs, like, can you write me a technical document in Markdown that might actually be able to correctly structure the document? I, I think you do get, um, you do get around one of the issues, which is, uh, you know, getting a, a question to pull out an answer to it, which are just very structurally different. You might not be able to get that kind of um, relevance between the two of them. So it does sidestep one problem, but it, it's not, I think Michael is correct in saying that, like, there's probably a limit to this. Like, at the end of the day, all technical documents may not look exactly alike, but have a pretty high structural similarity. So if you're trying to do a search across, you know, uh, for instance, there's an Arise, uh, there's a bot that can look through the Arise docs. And if you're looking for a very specific question, a lot of those docs might be structured very similarly, have the same markdown structure and, you know, high level sections that kind of similarly look. And so there might be some, uh, you might not have as uh, as high of a success rate trying to generate that kind of document and, and make sure that you're getting the right one out of all of these relevance, uh, out of all of the different, you know, options. Right. Ikea manual would sort of look the same, even if they're different. Exactly. I think the, the the point I think they were making too is that the, the thing they call the contriver, which by the way, um like I, I you know I, I being being not like the, the the deepest search and retrieval person, I'm like, what's this contriver thing? Um the as far as it looks to me, it's an encoder that's un, and the the magic of this paper is is that it uses that contriver encoder. Um, which is, think of it as an embedder to those of you in the LLM app space, but basically it takes the document, creates an embedding, um, maps to an embedding, a latent space. Um, that contriver, in the example it gave in the beginning, they have a comparative paper that uh, fine-tunes it or supervised, supervises it to a search and retrieval task. In this paper, uh, they don't do that. Like it's it's unsupervised. It's just a pure embedding thing not done like you could fine tune it for the marco task here or the beer beer the, the beer task if if you wanted but um what they're saying is let's not like it's a real pain in the butt to to have to like fine tune it's you know you're just you're just doing you're you're fine tuning for every use case in this case you don't have to do that um part of my look was like well could you just swap out the contriver for you know the attitude embeddings model like like i wish I, I was reading through wondering running wondering that myself um but uh but that feels like the big the big idea there they were talking about like you you know by doing a larger training run on a large set of data and creating a large unsupervised pre-trained model 
um, or, or semi-large, um, you get around those, you know, the issues with a small, you know, you know, a small tiny model. Um, so I think the the I felt like the contriver was kind of one area of interest. And the other one was just like the like this section here, which is like the generation of of all the documents. Um, I'm not sure what it looks like they're generating multiple documents here. In yeah, addition, they, they they sample yeah. the the instruct GPT to get several uh, hypothetical yeah. documents. They yeah. embed them with contriver and then they take the average. And I thought it was interesting. They also add into that average calculation, the embedding of the query. I saw that. I saw that. So the most of the LLM apps, people to, you know, the LLM, LLM ops, LLM apps, uh, I'll say LLM ops people um, are, are just doing the query, right? Like, so one, one of my questions on this was like, well, what if you just embedded the query? What would those results be? Um, which is what most people are doing right now. Um, versus the the full doc. Uh, that's one of the comparisons that they run, right, Amon? Um, yeah, I'm trying to find it actually. So I think that's where you you end up wanting to fit a document encoder and a query encoder, but you don't have, you you you've assumed away your relevance labels to to fit that. So you you know you embed a, a query, and that query is going to look nothing like the document that answers it. And you take an inner product search and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you're you're likely to find documents that look like other questions rather than that's a good point um that's a good point it's it's interesting um that's a question actually that someone can ask how does offloading relevance modeling from representation learning model to an nlg model impact the effectiveness of this this approach It's I so, so the question the question there is like with with this generative approach, which is essentially what they've what they've yeah. taken. How is this, you know, how does this make better or worse, um, like the the final results relative to um, a, a more kind of um, you know maybe representation learning model analogy. Yeah, you know, like it, basically just offloading the relevance. Like the actual like relevance calculation and using that in the the equation and just using this like kind of proxy for relevance. You're no longer needing to learn two representations of things. They don't have to learn a representation of yeah. the query where inner products are, where inner product encodes relevance with a representation of the document. It, it, that that's I mean we're on equation five now, but if you go up to equation one, they they say that the the hard thing is learning these two representation simultaneously. So learning mm -hmm. an encoding of the query and an encoding of the documents such that the inner product represents relevance. And so they say, we're just not, we're not gonna do it. But I imagine if you have relevance labels and a wide corpus of labeled relevance data with question and answer pairs, you, you'll do better if you if you fit two representations. I, I just think this is, their point is that this is more real world. Like in general, you are not going to have access to such a labeled set of relevance data. And yeah, so most sidestep yeah. the problem. And so many of the practical examples that we're seeing of people trying to, you know, use this L like uh, context retrieval and the and to create a document like a product that people will actually use are using fairly small corpuses. So you may not be able to generate the kind of relevance labels that you might want to see to have the fine-tuned 
uh, encoding that would you know actually be able to create a similarity between the question and the document. And so the, it's it's to me this is a very practical approach, and that's actually how I when I first saw this paper, it was referenced by someone who is building LLM apps for the process of retrieving over a small document corpus. And there were several people who agreed that this is a fairly effective way to do it, given that you don't have the ability to train or you don't have the, the corpus of information to train on, you can get pretty close to a fine-tuned performance by just doing this process, which is in a lot of ways uh, maybe less resource intensive than some of the ranking that I've seen on the other end of the spectrum where you like grab a bunch of documents and then rank them relevant to the question itself. Yeah. And I'll jump ahead a bit to the conclusion, but they do actually talk about like, you know, the trade-offs here, um, which is uh, the concept of relevance and height is captured by the Sentinel-G model. We demonstrated in many cases height can be as effective as dense retrievers that learn to model numerical relevance. But the, the idea is like they're not actually saying that, you know, a weak retriever will suffice as the NLU NLG models rapidly become stronger. They're like, uh, this, this actually like works for now if you're just getting started to sort of jump that step of having to, to you know, train that retriever or train that embedding generator. But um, you know, it's not really going to solve your problem the whole way, most likely. You know, Michael, do, do they have the, the, the question, do you know in here, do they have like just the pure question embedded? Like what, I, I didn't, I didn't look at the corpus of documents yeah. that, that they included for search. Um, I'm sure yeah. they make it available, but I, I haven't had a chance to check. Like the, the abolition I would like to see, like the thing I would like to see is like, the thing people are doing today, which is like embed your query mm. and just use that. With no additional fine tuning. Use the same document to document encoder. So you you assume the same document encoder as query encoder, encode the query yeah. directly and do inner product search on that. Because because they're doing it, they're mixing the, the query in. They do. But they don't, I didn't, I didn't see, maybe they and have it, it. It's not even a weighted average. It's it's a, yeah. it's a straight average. Um, Amon, you had that highlighted at the end of relevance being a, a statistical artifact. I, I think it's sort of imperf an imperfect analogy to try to map these techniques onto to human processes. But I, there, it's been interesting to do in the the Minecraft Voyager paper, and and here it, it it's reminiscent to me of skimming a set of documents from a Google search, and and you know you have an instinctive sense of what is relevant before even really digging into the 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 details you you know what a relevant document's going to look like and you feel it when you see it if, if you've done a lot of searches and this feels like a, a way of modeling that intuition and in search you, you know you you have an idea of the shape of what you're looking for you don't know the answers that it will contain yet but you can you can tell the document when you see it um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're we're running some experiments or like taking a look, and some some folks we've we've talked to is like what's interesting is like the queries that they have here are like you know actual questions. How long does it take? How long is it? But like oftentimes, if you're searching or even like how you type into Google, um, I think that how people interact with search now is is like different, right? So I mean, if you're talking to an LLM versus to just like, you know, expecting to search over an entire corpus, like even how you generate that initial query and what you're supposed to do with that, what this LLM, the Instruct GPT is supposed to do with it is so interesting to me as an interaction because, you know, you could you could say, well, you why don't you summarize this first? Why don't you generate some intermediate generated step and then 
create a generated document off of that. Like, you know, interpret what the customer or what the, the user is asking, break that down, provide more structure, and then feed that in. And maybe that gives you an even better, higher quality generated document. And then it starts to look even more realistic, you know? So I don't know. It, it's interesting that we're like moving further and further, further up in the, the zero shot world by sort of breaking down, trying to decompose the task of retrieval into like LLM steps um, in a way. In some way, it makes a lot of sense as well, because, you know, that's what the way that it would look for it, like you're generating the document using the kind of parametric memory that it has over what this document should look like. So that that kind of its own intuition of what what would be relevant is somewhat encoded in a hypothetical document. Yeah. And it's yeah. not it's not perfect, right? Like, you know, if you ask how long it takes to remove a wisdom tooth, you can say it takes between 30 minutes and two hours. And then when it says it takes 20 minutes, that relevant search might come through. But I, I do, I am curious to see whether it like, the less it would have kind of like straight answers to something where it's more like, okay, this is actually a very large step-by-step process to construct this API query. Like maybe it wouldn't have the type of relevance encoded into it to be able to generate a relevant hypothetical document. And that did bear out a little bit in some of the results. It is worth noting, by the way, that um, Langchain does have a hide version here. So the contriver is at a, two embeddings from OpenAI. So you can, you can actually compare you know, a, an approach pretty easily using LangChain, um, which would be, you know, interesting to see. Um, so there's there is a hide retriever if you want to, you know, if you have happen to have a LangChain in production and you're you're doing you know query retrieval, there's an option to to swap this out and 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 test. Um, Does it say what um, what it uses, or can you swap out which model it uses to generate the hypothetical document? I think the the embedding store, the one you decide for embeddings is what, uh, or the hop, yeah. So there's the embeddings one, which is the contriver, and then I think it's the OpenAI is is probably the. Yeah, and you the can swap them out. Yeah. yeah, by by default, right? So. And and the LLM yeah, is going to be your your generator one. Yeah, because one of the more interesting pieces from the results table was that the better the like the better the LLM you use to generate the hypothetical document that actually impacted performance pretty heavily. So this this could also be one of those things where like as LLMs continue to get better, this method might also continue to improve as well. Yep. It's it's also worth noting that all the, you know, from, from traditional, uh, from the traditional space, there's like these score, like there's Marcos, Marco data, data set, um, there's, there's the beer score, um, there's a lot of stuff where um, the traditional side has done a lot of testing, which I feel like is you know not brought up much in the the current space. <laughs> uh, it's you know a lot of and, and I think a lot of a lot of people are just trying stuff out and seeing if they feel like it works and and, and kind of filling fill, filling that breakage before trying to go do a rigorous test on things. Um, but I think there's you know. There's a question in my head of like, should you even use this hide or should you use how good is it relative to the the basic you know query embeddings people are doing? Um, it'd be good to get some both anecdotal and you know more quantitative results too. Yeah, I would be interested in a test across a, a, a more diverse set of document corpuses. My my intuition is that the success of this technique is going to depend significantly on what you're looking for and the corpus you're looking for it within. 
Mm -hmm. um, we got a question. Um, oh, sorry, cut you off, Michael. No, go ahead. Um, we got a question that, that's sort of somewhat related, actually, which is. I'm curious if this approach is worth experimenting. Instead of giving supervision as pairs of querying documents, we maybe are able to just give to give just the set of documents and influence the generated document given a query to be closer to the set of documents in the search space. So yeah, so that's basically you know what it, you know kind of just running experiments in the space and seeing which one works for your application depending on how dense the you know the, how how your query embeddings already look like or your document embeddings already look like you know how how dense that space is. I, I did want to give a plug for we do have a, a pinecone langchain uh, arise uh, uh, workshop tomorrow. So, so you know maybe we can drop the asks of of the of the langchain team if they test it hide or whatever. But anyone who's interested in like a little bit more of search and retrieval debugging and troubleshooting, let me give a, a, just a little plug plug for that with the team tomorrow. Yeah, and we'll, we'll actually be building a system from scratch. So if you're interested in like getting started, you don't know where to start, we'll have a, a notebook that we'll be sharing out that you can actually run through with us and that. And we'll actually build a system, test it out, uh, and then actually query over it. Um, cool. Any more sort of uh, takeaways we want to touch on here? I think like um, you know, one, one, uh, one interesting point, actually, Michael, you brought up yesterday was when we were talking about this was, uh, you kind of view this as like initialization on algorithms. Like why, like, let's, let's take a, you know, like if we're running an experiment, you want to put the bounds on this, like alternatively, when you feed in this, when you're feeding in a query, the instruct GPT doesn't use the query at all. And instead it's just like generate a random document. It, why is this better than just generating a random document? Why is it better than random? How does this sure, it's better than, than a random document? I mean, my 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 connection to 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 an initialization process is is I think sort of related to Jason's thought of you know if you're going to assume I don't have information to train two encoders to represent relevance in the inner product calculation. I just have my my pre-trained contriver that can represent document to document uh, 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 similarity. How much better is this than just taking the encoding of my query? And that 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 in my mind is the like random initialization. Just encode your query, and that if we're going to assume okay, I can't fit a query encoder, and just encode my query is not performing so well, can I? Can I initialize the process by which eventually I hope to have relevance and fit a better representational model? But can I can I in the meantime kind of initialize my problem and and start my search from a guess of at least what a document might be shaped like, if not what it contains? Are there any other retrievers that seem interesting for folks as well? Like this this type of retriever mechanism, like. Any other retrievers that let's sit out? Yeah, so I, I think there's a question, you know, I think Shobit put a, a question in there, Amon, if you wanna. Yeah, we, we kind of um talked about it, but it was, you know, given a, you know, was supervised as, you know, pairs of query and documents basically having those relevance labels. Why is this, why, why would you use this approach over that? Um, and then like maybe what are some other retrieval approaches 
Um, yeah, I think they I talk about that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Jason. You know, I was, you know, was going to also mention that I, I have heard from some folks like, um, and maybe Shobit was hitting, hinting on this, but like that there, there are systems already built that people have that are like Elasticsearch or something. Like you, you possibly could have some relevant documents and then, you know, maybe generate and, and get yourself closer to it. So there might be ways of using, you know, uh, systems already in place versus the, the peer generative approach or, or using those in, you know, in conjunction with, which might, might've been the hint there. Yeah, they do talk towards the end of the paper around this being like a good intermediate step one you would fine tune. Like once you have yep. this in production for a while and you uh, get a large corpus of data around questions, the correct relevant document, what the correct answer is, you can continue to fine tune this process at every different step, whether you fine tune an encoder for queries and an encoder for documents separately, or um, perhaps something that would be interesting is just encoding um, the one unified encoder for both of them so that you get more relevant answers um so like the it would be like i don't think they're seeing this as this kind of this is the one process and this is what's going to work for every stage of maturity but as a bootstrapping mechanism to get you to the point where you can fine-tune things it might be a very effective strategy and i do think it's interesting to to think about what you know a uh, comparison i would like to see is whether you could you know, if the performance between different levels of LLM for generating the document is so great, what would the performance be for, you know, we're not fine-tuning the encoders, but we're instead fine-tuning Instruct GPT on the existing corpus of documents. Would it get better at generating hypothetical documents that would then in turn provide a, a stronger relevance mechanism from driving the right document? Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of options and mixing and matching that we're probably going to see in the very near future with this. Yeah. I can't help but think also the, you know, the number of LLM calls <laughs> where we're, we kind of like, like, like we've, I think earlier, like we were doing a search and retrieval with uh, Llama Index the other week. And we're like, oh, maybe we, we should have an eval after your retrieval. And, but now we're going to call out and do, do this, this generation before the retrieval. I mean, um, you know, I, I hope these companies are making these fast and cheap so that, you know this this and i know they are but there's there's a lot of calls to you know to these and just to get an answer um yeah you do wonder at what point it, the the cost benefit you just train it to work correctly or even apply a sparse approach that is not as uh sophisticated but yeah yeah i i'd say like actually just building off of that like the authors do say Actually, Jason, because it's relevant to the Llama index example you gave, in Llama index, you can re-rank the, you know, uh, retrieved context, retrieved documents to generate the response um, or to feed into the context for the LLM. They basically say just compare it to that. And if you don't have relevance labels, this is a good alternative to, to having those relevance labels or generating those relevance labels. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe it would be interesting to, to run some experiments, see how it works with, like, re-ranking over identity. Yep versus you know generating this hypothetical document yeah so if anyone's listening and in, in academia there's probably <laughs> you know there's probably some re research work on which 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 retrieval methods should you be using um cool cool this is fun yeah, this was a good one. I, I feel like I next week I think we're doing uh one on another 
uh, model architecture. I think it's uh, Glora. So building off of Laura. Um, so it should be pretty interesting. I feel like the architectures that come out every week or every few weeks are really uh, feel like, you know, leaps forward. Um, pretty exciting time to be in the space. So 